All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein podcast. Today, we got Aaron Warbritton on from the Hunting Public. Uh, Aaron's got, if you don't know the Hunting Public, you got to go check those guys out. Um, they make some awesome videos. We're recording this podcast in August because these guys are pretty much on the road or in the woods every single day um, of the hunting season. So it's great to get them on when we can and, uh, and kind of pick their brain um, because they have so much information and so much time in the field. So if you haven't checked them out, definitely go do that. Before we hop in, just three real quick uh, uh, sponsors we want to plug, partners that we work with. Venado, they make custom clothing gear for you. Or not custom clothing gear. Sorry, I screwed that one up with Vector. Um, <laughs> they, make, uh, they make lifestyle apparel, right? Venado makes lifestyle apparel. Vector arrows, those are custom arrows that you guys can order. They build them to your specs, um, everything that you guys need phenomenal company out of Janesville, Wisconsin, Venados out of like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then also Onyx Maps. If you don't know them, check them out. GPS hunting app, uh, public private land boundaries, really, really helpful. Today we're talking about the pre-rut. So really helpful in determining, you know, is this scrape on public land? Is it on private land? Is it on your neighbors? Where's it at? And then marking that up on a waypoint. So you can kind of Take that overview. I'm sure you do this. Like, I know you do this every day, Aaron, during hunting season, you look at the map, you go, okay, the wind is Southeast, which is awful. What waypoints do I have for a Southeast wind? Oh yeah. I was yeah. looking at the map this morning when I woke up. <laughs> yeah. I look at it every, I look at it like multiple times a day. People yeah. get addicted to their phones and they look at like the screen time at the end of the week, you know, see yeah. how much time they spend on there. And I look at, I look at that and I think like, oh man, I just spent, you know, three and a half hours on OnX this week, <laughs> just on my phone. <laughs> wife's wife's always like, what in the heck are you doing with that thing? Like, well, I'm trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking about how I can kill bucks faster so I can spend more time with you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know your, your text came through this morning at five 30. I was like, what's war up to at five 30 in the morning? You know, it's, onyx maps <laughs> yeah that's pretty oh. it's pretty common wake up check a few emails go exercise look at onyx deal with all that and then uh yeah, yeah eventually around eight or nine o'clock i start doing actual work mm, there you go um I, I yeah and we're recording this at 8 a.m in in august um what is the date no we're not even in august it's july not a, it's july it's july 28th uh, I keep thinking it's August because I got so much work to do on the property in August, which you guys have the new cabin. So you guys have all yeah. like the hunting public, quote unquote, now owns three acres of private ground. I mean, come on, <laughs> yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, we really want to be able to kill a deer on that three acres, too, because there's some are, some of them are around like we've got trails on the property. And we've seen some does and stuff in the last few weeks. So, yeah, I'd love to be able to kill a deer off of it. I got, awesome. I got money on a video of Zach in his ghillie suit suit and the backdrop is the house and he's like 20 yards from the house and he's just laying on the <laughs> ground <laughs> behind, <laughs> behind one of uh, Jake's little bunny piles or his rapid hotels or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's able to, to kill a doe or something or Ted shoots one out the window. Who knows? Yeah, he might do that. <laughs> That's possible because in his room, he's got a little desk right next to the window that he works at with his laptop. And that's like, he can sit there and work and just glance up off of his computer and look out basically <laughs> in the woods right behind the house where there's three or four trails and a trail camera sitting right now. 
So if he sees something going by, he can just shut his laptop real quick, lift the window up, and then <laughs> maybe get away. a shot. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It sounds like my uh, my youth and chipmunks and squirrels out the house yep. window. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Man, one time I would say I always used to shoot the pellet gun out the window, and there was one day where it was uh, uh, multiple squirrels, and, and my pellet gun's not semi-auto. And I was like, ooh, I got an idea here. I'm going to pull out the 22 and I'm going to shoot it out the window. And that was a poor idea. My ears were <laughs> ringing so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, all right. Well, yeah. So today, um, today we wanted to talk about the pre-rut um, and that for, for, when we talked about this just real quick, it's like that October 15th to like October 30th timeframe. Um, it's probably one of the most, for, for me, it's my most exciting time frame. I love that, that part of the year. Um, but you know, it's not quite the rut. They're not quite all over the place and talking about strategies and different things that look in there. I know a couple of the notes I have is, it's kind of like, um, last year you guys stretch yourself pretty thin, but there's a lot of people who think that, um, during the pre-rut or, or even more of the rut, like just being a tree. And, and that's your best chance of success. But last year, I mean, you guys spent, you know, hours and hours and hours in the tree during those timeframes, and you didn't have nearly as much success as you guys were hoping in all these different properties across the country. So have you guys like, did you guys ever sit down and say like, okay, what, what do you think went wrong here? Why do you oh, yeah. think we didn't? Yeah. So tell me about that, like conversation, like, what do you guys think happened and, and what are you going to try to do to to do a little bit better this year? Well, we do that at the end of every season. So like at the end of uh, turkey season, we'll, we'll all meet and we'll discuss, you know, pros and cons of the spring and then how we can build off that and get better. And at the end of every deer season, we also discuss that. And we're, we're not only talking about like how we can get better at deer hunting in general. We're also talking about like how we can create better videos for the viewers and how we can, you know, introduce more education in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're just talking about how to get better in general at everything that we do. And at the end of last season, that was like the unanimous critique that all of us had was like, we had way too many freaking tags and way too many plans to go to too many places. And some years that works out okay with turkeys. Because with, with turkeys, you can be more efficient. You have less gear. Um, you, you've got shorter seasons in general. Like turkeys are gobbling. So you can find a bird and get on them quicker. Like you, we can go to a state and usually two, three, four days. We can at least get on them and right. find birds. But with deer hunting, um, it's not the case sometimes every once in a while it is but a lot of times it takes us a better part of a week to figure things out especially if it's brand new if we've never been to that area before it takes us a lot of work and a lot of scouting to figure things out within a week's time um i'm sure there's people that are way better at it than we are but that's just what we've seen is in last year most of our average trip was like five days Okay. And that was the rub was like, man, about the time where we feel like we're getting closer because we usually, if we kill bucks or deer in general and on these trips, it's usually towards the end of the trips, like 80, 90% of the time, it's the last couple of days of the trip. And last year we, we didn't have those last couple of days. It was like, we had just started figuring things out and then we had to go. 
we had to we had to either go home or we had to travel to a different state because we had commitments there and tags there you know like we were on them we were on them at home around right before halloween um and we were inching in every day like we would come back into the house at night you know because we all split up during the day and go hunt we'd come back into the house at night and like that october 20th through the 25th time frame last year we were just we were coming back in and like man i found this sign here i saw this buck you know leave this bedding area here we've got to get in here next west wind that we get like we're game planning all this and it really feels like we're we're starting to put the pieces together and that's usually when we kill them, man. It's like you 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 get to that point where the light bulbs start going off and then boom, you got a buck down. But we had to leave. We had to go to the public land challenge in Indiana. Mm. And as soon as we rolled in there, this is all like green. Like we've never been, I mean, green is in new. Like we've right. never been to any of this stuff before. So we're basically just starting that entire process that we've been working on for the last week and a half completely over again. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We, which was, and we did that multiple times throughout the fall. So that was our major setback. And this year we're trying to fix that. We're going to kind of, we're going to kind of, uh, scale things back a little bit. Everybody's got like two areas in mind that they want to hunt. Like Ted has a Kansas tag, for example, he's got a Kansas tag and he's got a, and then he's got a tag at home. And I don't think he's going to buy another deer tag until he at least fills one of those two. Sure. And it's the same with me. I've got a tag out west for whitetails and I got a tag at home. And then, as you know, I hunt with my family, uh, some in Missouri. So every year I buy a Missouri tag, but I don't go, I don't hunt down there, maybe a handful of days throughout the entire fall. That's on average. Um, yeah. Most of the time, this, this year anyway, most of my time is going to be spent out west hunting whitetails and hunting around home. Mm-hmm. And that's until we fill one right and then we can yeah we can focus in more on stuff instead of having to bounce yeah no that's the idea that makes sense so essentially like you know five days is is like that turning point where you're like day six seven and eight are like the three days that we usually kill and that even pertains to when you're in a new area during the the pre-rut because i you know, you listen to a lot of these podcasts and even in my own mind, sometimes I think it like, okay, well, if you find a nice scrape and you sit there for five days, like you're going to kill one. And sometimes that just is not the case. And that's boring too. I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure nobody likes to sit the exact same scrape every single, like, especially mobile hunters, like you guys, like always, always cruising around. Have you ever sat the same spot, like five days in a row or no? Yeah. Yeah, I set the same spot 12 days in a row, the same exact tree. No way. daylight to dark. How is that like successful? I mean, if you sat 12 days, it wasn't successful the first 11, huh? Uh, No, it was, it was actually a total train wreck. I mean, I, (laughs) I sat so many days and I was getting so bored. Um, Eventually a turkey, I was bow hunting in Missouri. This is like way back when I was in college. Okay. Um, I sat so many days on like day nine or 10 or something like that. I had a turkey come by at 35 yards and you got, you get an archery turkey, two archery turkey tags in Missouri. Well, I drew back on that turkey. It was like 1130 in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to kill this turkey. You know, I ain't seen crap for two days. I'm shooting this thing. So I shoot at this turkey and I miss it at 35 yards. And I see my lighted knock 
sticking out of the mud down there where I missed it. And just kind of stared at it for about 20 minutes. And I was like, I got to stretch my legs. I got to get down, you know, which is the, if you're going to commit to doing it, you just got to <laughs> Um, Cause you, as you know, exactly how this story goes pretty much <laughs> nine and a half days in, I climbed down and I'm all I'm doing is walking over there and picking up the arrow, stretching my legs and getting back in the tree, literally plan on being out of the stand for five minutes. And I had no more than bent over to pick up that arrow. And I heard a grunt behind me and I turned around and the biggest buck that we had pictures of all year standing 10 yards from the base of my tree with a doe. And <laughs> as soon as I saw him, he saw me and so did the doe and they both blew and took off. So if I just would have <laughs> sat there like nine and a half days in, if I would have sat there an additional oh, five minutes, God. I would have got the shot that I was looking for, but I didn't right. do it. Yeah. So well, it was debacle yeah. after debacle after that. Um, <laughs> so it, to answer your question, it definitely can work if you're disciplined enough to just sit there. Right. But it's still, I mean, you're still talking nine days, like not a lot of people have that many, vac how many vacation days saved up, right. To sit. No, I was skipping school. I mean, it was not, <laughs> it was not a good situation. I barely passed my classes that semester. Uh, yeah. Funny. I was skipping school in my, the, my job that I had at the time, my boss, he was a big deer hunter. So, and Turkey hunter. So he would, and he owned his own business. So he would have either abbreviated hours during the rut or he would close the place entirely. <laughs> just like, and he would just put a sign on the door. That's like, I'll be back in two weeks, you know, right. we'll take care of you then. And yeah. that, that was great for me. I'm like, heck yeah. You know, <laughs> and he's that. like, you're not going to get paid during that time. He's like, I don't care. I just want to be in the woods. So All right. Not, that's what not I did. concerned, man. I've saved up a couple yeah. dollars. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's one of the, the, one of the, one of the misconceptions that I have, and I'm sure a lot of other people have is, is you run out there on October, you know, 20th, you find a great scrape, you sit there for two days, you don't see something and you're like, all right, now what do I do? Right. Or, or whatever it is. And so like in that time frame, when you guys, when you're saying like, you guys would go for five days, I'm sure that was part, was that part of your game plan? like find these nice scrapes, sit them for a couple of days, see what happens, nothing, move on to the next, move deeper, move somewhere else. Uh, yeah. I mean, scrapes are a big part of it during that time of the year. We've, we've had a lot of luck over scrapes, honestly, honestly, at all times of the fall, like even back in the late September, mid September, if you can find one, they can be useful. Then they can be useful during the rut. Um, but for different for different reasons. However, the time frame that you're talking about, the 15th through the 30th, that second half of the month, that is when scrapes are just gold mines for the most part. Hey. But it all depends on what those scrapes relate to. Okay. Whether it is a hot food source or um, doe bedding areas, whether it is a really thick area where you suspect bucks could be bedding, um, all of those things. And it depends on the personality of the deer that you're dealing with. Like if you're, if in the situation that you're in, if you're hunting a specific buck, for example, and you got two or three years of history with him and you know that he likes to frequent your property a lot on from in that time frame, that might be a situation where you sit a scrape one over and over and over again, mm -hmm. because you know that that buck is there. His personality has shown you, or you have the data on him in the past. And you feel like he's he's kind of a homebody, if you will. 
So if you sit there day after day after day, eventually you may catch him coming to it um, and get a shot at him. But what we find, we don't find ourselves in those situations very often because we're always bouncing around. Like, and as you know, we're not super selective. We'll, we'll shoot anything that's a nice buck, um, mature buck, nice buck, you know, two and a half year old, three year old, whatever, um, is it gives us a good opportunity. And, uh, what I found for the most part is if you find really, really fresh scrapes, I'll, I'll just, I should just talk about some examples. That's the best way yeah. for me to explain this. That Missouri buck that we were talking about before you started recording. Yep. Um, that, that I got last year at my family farm. My stepbrother hunted that same spot the night before I killed him. And okay. when he checked through those scrapes, none of them were open. That was on October 14th. And he, all he saw was a doe and a fawn. I went up there the next night with my stepson and all the scrapes were opened up. There was fresh pee in them. There was like four really fresh scrapes and a lit one licking branch was really, was thrashed. And I was like, huh, that's kind of strange. He didn't see any bucks up here last time. There's buck sign everywhere right here. <laughs> I didn't find out until after the fact that he didn't see any buck sign up there. And we ended up seeing seven bucks and two does. And I killed one as he was coming to that scrape. And we hadn't had a trail camera picture of the buck that I killed for three months on the whole property. Okay. So what I'm, I'm guessing now, so this don't take this as the gospel truth, because as you know, we only are getting a snapshot as to what's going on in their world. But I think those bucks just moved in there like that. Our farm was definitely a part of their range, but it's a hundred acre property. I mean, these things float around. Sure. I think those bucks just moved in there overnight and for whatever reason, they worked those scrapes, especially the bigger, the, the mature buck that I shot. Yeah. You know, I think he just showed up. I don't know if it was because a doe was starting to come in early on the 15th. That's really early, but the, all those scrapes showed it. What the scrapes told me was that there was, that was hot sign. Like that is mm -hmm. really fresh. A buck has yeah. worked this thing in the last day or two. Uh -huh. So I sat directly over it and he came straight to it. Um, yeah. And that's the second time the other buck I killed there two or three years ago now was on the 23rd of October. Okay. And I killed him out of the same scrape. Got it. Um, yeah. I, one of the, one of the things to, there's a couple of questions I got to ask there, but um, one of the things that you're talking about. So I had a podcast with, uh, I can't remember how to say his last. It's either Hofer or Hoffer, Jake Hofer, Jake Hoffer from Exodus. Yeah. Um, he like his family has a deer farm, right? Or had, or he grew up mm -hmm. on one. And he told me that um, does will, the same doe will come into heat roughly the exact same time every year um, within a few days. And so bucks understand that and they know, oh, Jenny's coming into heat at this time. You know, Lynn's coming into heat at that time. Margaret over here is this. And uh, those are some really weird female names. That, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, I get your point. <laughs> um, and so then these, uh, the the bucks sometimes will move based on knowing that that doe that maybe your who was it your brother in law or your brother or my stepbrother your stepbrother uh, saw that doe last night. Maybe she's one of those first does to pop. And so those bucks are like, all right, we know she's going to pop in a few days. Let's come in here and let's kind of figure out who's going to get her in the next couple of days. And that's potentially what could have happened there. 
but uh, in in years past, you said you know October twenty third. That's also a similar time frame, similar scrape. Maybe that's just like one of those earlier season scrapes because I know that on on our property we have a hundred acres. There's one scrape that really likes to get hit October twentieth to the twenty fourth, and then after that, it's kind of dies. So it's like need to sit there, need to sit in that area in that time frame if there's some sort of cold front or something like that. And I tried it last that's year. That's a perennial it, signpost scrape. Yeah. What you're talking about every okay. year it's in the same spot right yep yeah yeah, yeah. yep yep it's that's not the same a... situation that i okay. got at the farm because you you said there were four scrapes that were all opened up in my mind that's like a field edge system or is it different yep. than that uh it is that down the field edge there's usually scrapes but we kill them back in the right like back in the uh i don't know what would i the lane food plot Okay. So it's 150 yards from the field edge scrapes. And gotcha. down that lane, that those bucks will come up that lane. It's planted in clover. It's only about 15 yards wide. They'll leave their bedding areas on either side of it, and they'll come out in that lane, and they'll feed up the lane, but they won't go out into the field until right at dusk. Gotcha. So they'll actually stage in the lane, and they'll stand there. I've watched them do this multiple times, especially mature bucks. They'll stand in that lane because they can they can see 400 yards down it out into the field, and they will stand there until a doe or a young buck or something pops out on that field, and then they'll start feeding down there to it. Gotcha. So they they it's almost like they feel comfortable moving in daylight to some extent in that lane, but they don't want to go beyond that unless they got you know, confirmation that it is yeah. safe from other deer. Sure. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. Um, so one of the, one of the things you touched on real quick is that, um, scrapes, uh, scrapes vary in their, um, uh, their, their usefulness based on what they relate to. Yeah. Right. Can you, can you expand on that? Like, what does it mean to what they relate to? Like, how does that tie together? Well, I think we just hit on a good point there about like the perennial scrape that spot. You could go to those spots probably in July and find those licking branches on those scrapes. And there may be multiple branches broke from years, year after year after year of use. There's also scrapes that bucks just make at random as they're moving through the woods. And those things are tricky to, it's tricky to differentiate the two unless you have a bunch of history with that spot. Okay. Um, because they'll look the same, but, uh, last year, for example, we were driving into a spot in Iowa, public land and saw a big buck in the headlights right in front of us. He just, he, he just walked right across the road. And when we came around the corner, it looked like his head was up in a branch. So I was like, what the heck was he doing there? Don't really know. But, uh, it looked like he was working a scrape, drove down the road went hunted somewhere else. And then we were walking out down that same road and I walked over there where that buck was at and that ground was torched. He, he'd been working a scrape right there and he walked into the woods. Well, what we did then was I just left my bow in the truck, which was stupid. Um, but <laughs> because I didn't think I was going to go very far down in the woods. Well, I walked, I went in the woods where the buck went in the woods. There's another scrape. And then I walked another 30 yards further. There's another scrape. And I mean, fresh, like moist dirt. And we probably found 20 of them as we walked back there. Every 15 yards, 20 yards, that thing was, was making a scrape until we jumped him out of his bed. 
Like, gotcha. but I wasn't mad about it because I was like, I just learned something, you know, about yeah. at least this specific deer or that sort of behavior, because that was in that October 20th time frame. He was working scrapes right before daylight all the way back to his bed. But a lot of these scrapes had, he was just opening them. Like he had not, he hadn't visited some of them. Gotcha. Um, so that kind of goes back to what I was initially saying. Some of those scrapes are probably just travel route scrapes they might even be your field edge scrapes like what you're talking about where a buck just he's he's traveling through that area for a brief section of time to monitor things he might even be trying to keep track of the the resident does that you're talking about right um but he's working those things as he's going and he may not come back and revisit them again for a week or two like he, he that may just be part of his loop of travel gotcha. um those and like i said it's hard to differentiate the two but those types of scrapes there may or may not be as good to set up on because you just missed him he's already went through that area and it kind of depends on the personality of the buck obviously too if he's a homebody maybe he comes back through and works them but as a lot of the gps studies have shown these things a lot of them move around the landscape and they'll use one section of a property for a day or two and then for the next week they'll be on the other side of it and you can see the data points. Like, obviously, if you're sitting up here on these scrapes that are two or three days old, you're out of the game if he's over here right. on the other side of the property. But that's it, the it's hard. hard that's to, the hard question. <laughs> yes, it's hard. It, that's that's the very hard question. But that's why I go. I say all this to relate back to your original question on like what the scrapes relate to, mm. because if if you find really fresh scrapes during this time frame that are very close to bedding or some sort of thick high stem count cover, I feel like your odds go up drastically because that's those are areas where bucks are gonna feel comfortable moving during the daylight. A lot of these scrapes are gonna get worked at night, like the buck that I just mentioned, he was there at five in the morning. It was still mm -hmm. two hours before legal shooting light. And he very well could have left all those scrapes that I followed to his bedding um, before legal light. And if I was going to set up on that scrape line and have any chance at him, I needed to set up on the two or three scrapes that were closest to that bedding. The other 15, I'm probably too far. Because I was right. finding scrapes in the middle of open woods. It's like what that sign relates to if that if that scrape is in the center of open woods maybe there's some acorns or something but the closest predicted bedding is 250 yards from that spot i want to find something like this closer to that bedding got it so yeah, it's just that to up your odds of daylight day, yeah out of the, on daylight yeah right out of those 20 scrapes they're not created equal or they're not all equal in my mind it's like there's two or three of them that i can maybe kill him on tonight and then the rest of them, he's going to work after I leave or while I'm climbing down. Right. Got it. Okay. No, that makes sense. And then uh, on the other side of that, like, um, like those field edge scrapes or the, the food source scrapes, if they're too far from bedding, those are very similar. Like they're not, they're great scrapes to put a camera on and see what's there, but they're not like a necessarily like a, a scrape you can really kill on. Cause if you put a camera there and everything's showing up between 11 and 4 AM, it's just not that you got to right. know that and you got to don't waste your time on it. Well, I'm not saying every, every situation is a little different, but a few years ago, 
we found we had this perennial scrape and we haven't ran a camera over it for a while which i don't know why but we had this perennial scrape on this field edge it's an ag field about 300 yards from a parking lot <clears throat> so i mean everybody and their dog that hunts that area knows about that scrape I mean, they walk yeah. right by it there's more boot tracks that go by that scrape than deer tracks <laughs> um but we started it, every time we walked by it it was like the thing's fresh it got worked the branches are snapped off there's deer pee in it you know there's a big fresh track right in the scrape and there's a guy you know pulling a cart with a decoy with a you know with a big ladder stand right behind us basically gonna walk <laughs> right in front of the camera and what we did was we started running for i think three years in a row we ran a camera over that scrape from like august to december and locked the hell out of it so that people <laughs> wouldn't steal it because there's a lot of people walk by it. yeah um and we got lots of mature bucks on that scrape we only got one mature buck on that scrape in daylight in three years and it was on halloween morning at 9 a.m and there was two mature bucks there within 15 minutes of one another it was it had to been a hot doe situation i think probably right. a, a hot doe up in the thicket right next to that front field and those bucks were just looping those scrapes around where she was bedded but yeah. in that three-year time span that was the only you know the only instance of getting a mature buck on that scrape in daylight every other mature buck that we had on that scrape was like 3 a.m 10 o'clock gotcha. midnight you know and then during the day we get people walking by it right but i think that's you know we use that intel to relate back to the more remote bedding areas on that same area and then when we went way back in there we would see the bucks that we had on the scrape at three in the morning gotcha not every time but sometimes that's that's where they wanted to spend their day yeah yeah no that that makes sense so then if that's the if that's the case um how do you what do you what would you say the best way to figure out which scrapes are like essentially the hottest or which ones you need to sit on is it is it trail camera is it trying to like mark all the scrapes and then going and like checking them all on like October 15th and then again on October on the 20th and just sitting the one that's the hottest or what do you guys what would you do we just keep moving all the time and, we're, and that's that's the scenario i kind of laid out the scenario that we're looking for for the most part now that can kind of change here and there but if if we find something that is really really fresh like within the last day or two and it's close to bedding we're probably going to sit it okay and it doesn't really matter if it's 400 yards from the parking lot or if it's two miles back because and that's something I'm learning more and more. It used to have to be two miles back. I would just, I would disregard any fresh sign that I saw within the first three quarters of a mile, basically. I mean, that's a general realization, but I was, I was more focused on getting to the most remote spot on every single hunt that I've totally disregarded everything else that happened between there and the truck. And that was a mistake because these things are moving around a lot in October. They are shifting. Their shit, their food sources are changing every few days. As you mentioned earlier, does on one part of the property might be getting close to coming into heat where a doe or two on the other part of the property isn't going to come into heat for another month. Mm -hmm. So where do you think he's going to spend more time? Um, he's going to spend more time where that, where the early does are going to be coming in or the early doe. And then yeah. subsequently, you know, feed on whatever available food sources are in that general area. So with all that said, that's why we're, we're so focused on the freshest stuff. I mean, 
I've, I've sat on scrapes before that were like four or five days old in amongst a bunch of rubs and semi-fresh feeding sign and just saw does and little bucks. I've done that over and over and over again. And these are right next to bedding areas. So um, you think they're you know, these, Yeah. These, yeah, yeah. These deer are coming out of the bedding areas and, and they're using that general area because we're finding a lot of general deer sign. But the scrapes and the rubs that are there are a week old. And in most of those situations, we don't see a, we don't have a big one come in. When we see it, when we see the big ones, it's usually on sign that is just torched and it is really, really fresh. And I, most people know what that looks like because they found it a few times, but it's harder to find than you would think. Um, it is. It's like, I mean, we've walked miles and miles and miles looking for that and, you know, not found it. And just had to set up on, you know, eventually you run out of hours in the day and you're like, well, I got to set up on the, the best looking stuff that I found. And right. then you do and it doesn't pan out that often. Sometimes it does. But the freshest stuff closest to the bedding is definitely the stuff that interests me the most. Okay. And the more the more we we are learning about these behaviors of bucks and their movements and stuff, the more it makes sense to me that that hunting pressure during that time in most areas is just archery hunting and bucks may or may not perceive that as a threat. So that, that, I mean, exactly to the point of that hunt on the farm earlier, my stepbrother was up there the night before. I mean, he right. left his scent all of, all up and through there. Um, who knows if he bumped a deer walking out or what, like most traditionally you're like first time in, right. Is your best odds. Yeah. And then every single time after that, you know, your odds go down. But in that situation, that's why I say, I think those bucks moved in overnight because they were behaving. They were not on edge whatsoever. They were completely comfortable and, and they knew exactly what they were doing. All of them were worried about those scrapes. Yeah. Yeah. This but is that, a, they move a, around, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, first time, like you could say this just, occurred to me it's either first time in for you or it could have been first time in for that buck right yeah first time he's coming yes. into the area and that's something like man you can just get lucky and that buck's just migrating on the day that you're sitting and he's coming to check out the new side of the farm and he's never been there and you might have sat there four days prior but your wind was right your entry and exit was right he has no clue that you're there he's taking a different trail it's his first time in there and it's well that's plan. why that's why what you were talking about a while ago, if you just sit it over and over and over again, that's why that can eventually work. But what I've realized is 90% of the time you're sitting there, you may be completely out of the game. Yeah. Like you may be completely, he may be on the other side and he may be there for the next five days. So basically for the next five days, you're going to be spinning your wheels. It's just the only way to know if he's there is that hot sign. Right. And that's not even an end all be all thing. Like the buck that I mentioned a while ago that we followed back to his bedding, he mm -hmm. could have just laid those scrapes down that morning and he might not visit him again for a week. It kind of just depends. But I, I really like, it reassures my brain when I can find a big scrape that is super fresh right next to the bedding, because that makes me think there's a possibility that thing laid this scrape down on his on his way into bed this morning and he is laying within 100 yards of my tree and that's as good odds as i can i can find right it's like that because that's my goal when i'm going out there scouting midday for the evening hunt is i want to put myself within 100 to 150 yards of a 
mature buck in his bed. And then it's up to him to come by, you know, I mean, but if you're within that distance, your odds go up dramatically. I mean, I might have a 30, 40% chance of seeing him if I get set up, but if you're just sitting the scrape for 10 straight days, you may have a 0% chance nine out of those 10 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes sense. You did, you mentioned like, uh, just real quick there again, um, scouting for scouting midday for your hunt that evening. Um, I feel like that's something that I should do more and probably other, other people might think about this a little bit more is like on a Saturday, right. Or even a, a Sunday, you hunt the morning, you come back in football comes on at noon, you know, you grab lunch, you're like, Ooh, I'm going to take a snooze, you know, hang out for the yep. day. Right. And then you go back out for the last couple hours of the evening or whatever. Um, and some people like to hunt all day for that, for that time frame. the real, the real serious go-getters, um, like to do that. But the, um, the other idea would be like, okay, come back, grab lunch, grab some food. And if you didn't find that hot sign you were looking for, you're heading back out to look for, you know, some of the, some more, some fresher scrapes, right? Where am I finding this fresh sign so that I can set up that evening? So if, if like, in, in my head, I'm picturing the public out by my house. And if I didn't see anything that morning, or I didn't find the sign that I wanted on the way in or the way out to a certain area, because you know, in the morning hunt, like on a Saturday morning, you wake up after you go to work, you, you wake up and you're like, all right, based on the wind, I'm going to go, go hunt here. I haven't had time to scout. Like, I know this is generally a good spot. I'm going to head in. I'm going to sit it. If I don't see anything kind of scout my way out. But then on the way back in, in the evening, if you set aside like two to three hours to go, okay, here's like where I think there could be hot scrapes and bedding areas in a way and food sources. And I'm kind of make a loop, um, to figure out like, okay, I'm going to go check this. And if this isn't hot, then I'm going to go check here. If this isn't hot, I'm going to go check here. Is that what you guys are kind of, kind of doing? And then whatever, whenever you find that hot sign, you're like, all right, this is it. We're here. Yeah. But we're probably super conservative on the morning hunts. If we don't have any Intel. Okay. So if I'm going into a weekend like that and I don't have any fresh Intel because it's been at work all week, and you're just getting back out there for that morning sit. If I don't have like real high confidence in the area that I'm going to, that I'm going to see a big one, I might just sit back that morning and observe um, or even sleep in because I don't want to disrupt the sign that they're laying down that morning. I don't, I want them to go in there and do their thing that morning because I want to find the sign that they're laying down in the middle of the day. Sure. So okay. if, a like, if I'm, if I slip in there in the dark for a morning hunt and I don't have any recent Intel or anything. And as I'm moving through the woods, a buck is on his way back into bedding and I cross paths with him and bump him. Well, I just, I just boogered up that, I guess that pattern for the day. Yeah. Then I've got to go. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you can go and find him again. That's not, I mean, you just have to do more leg work, but I would, I would all things being equal. I'd, I'd rather catch them by surprise and just let them have the woods that morning. If I don't have the Intel and then go in, you know, may, I might even sleep until eight thirty nine o'clock until they're safely in their beds and then go out there and plan to be out there the rest of the day. I uh, now I may not sit and hunt the rest of the day. I'm probably going to be sneaking around the woods you know, checking bedding, doing that loop, like what you said, checking bedding area A, bedding area B, you know, going over here, checking the staging area, coming between these two bedding areas, 
And that's what I'm looking for is like, who's home today. Sure. And then figuring out a setup for that evening based on the wind and all those other conditions and stuff. But the mid morning, midday timeframe is so good for scouting because your day winds pick up. You've got high light, a lot of contrast in the woods. If it's not super cloudy, the deer are bedded They're They're usually during that time of the year, they're not getting pressure during the middle of the day. So they don't expect you to be in and around there. I mean, they're in their safe areas. Right. So you can get away with a lot. I mean, if the wind, if the day winds are blowing 15, 20 miles an hour with real hard light contrast in the woods, they're going to have a hard time seeing you, especially if you're careful about how you move in and around there. So you might, you might be able to find sign within 80 to 100 yards of a bedded buck at noon. Whereas if you were looking for that sign at first thing in the morning, you know, on your way out or even on your way in when it's dead calm and those deer are still up and alert and sort of drifting back into their bedding areas, you, you could be risking bumping them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, uh, a common like thought that a lot of people have is, uh, am I wasting a hunt? Like, am I wasting an opportunity to hunt this morning? Like I have, I have the weekend, I have four hunts, you know, two in the, two in the two mornings, two evenings. Am I wasting one? But on the flip side, like, you, you could say I'm not wasting one. I'm actually like saving the other three to be better than, than just going in there and going like, well, I think this is it. And just like, poof, you blow out that big one and, and he runs onto the private and now you're just, you're, you're kind of like defeated for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can skin the cat multiple ways. I mean, you could, you could definitely just sit there the whole time and kill one. Like it just right. depends on the Intel, but me personally, I would rather have, if I had four hunts, I would rather, put all my chips on having one great hunt than I would four mediocre ones. Okay. That's a great point. Especially when I'm bow hunting, because you got to have one, like on these scrapes, if you get in the right setup, that is such a killer time to kill a big one with a bow. Um, because they are more predictable than they are during the rut. They are coming to a spot and you are usually set up over that scrape with the wind in your favor. Yeah. So you can be really patient as you see one approaching. They are often going to that spot and, and just wait for them to get there. If they, if they make it all the way into the scrape and you're still well hidden and your wind is perfect, they're in trouble because they are preoccupied with working that thing and you could stand on your head and they're not going to see you. <laughs> Um, they are, they're worried about working that scrape. They've got their eyes closed because their head's in a branch. I mean, you could climb down and shoot him. Nah, that's a, that's an exaggeration, (laughs) but you, uh, that's my point is you can get away with a hell of a lot when they're in that scrape and they're Mm -hmm. preoccupied. And that is your kill. That is, that is one of the best killing opportunities with a bow at a, at a, at any deer for that matter. There's there you're shooting at a static stationary target that's not moving that is preoccupied with something else and you can set up for a broadside opportunity right like it doesn't get any better than that um other than them coming to a bait pile essentially (laughs) you know right no that makes sense so then um with your with you guys like raining it raining it back a little bit more this year um, and, and you kind of stay in, like you said, staying close to 
you you did you said you had a western tag and an iowa tag right and then you'll have your yep. toss your missouri one in there so with yep. the with that iowa tag um and on some of your recent videos you guys have said um you know we're staying close to home we're going to scout more at home because when we scout more we kill more like that seems to be a direct correlation scout summer more kill more in the fall um what are you guys looking for in, in being in iowa and in property that you've hunted before whether it's it's public or, or even private at home in missouri what's the what are you looking for this year that's different from last year like if if you're if if somebody here is listening and they hunt they've hunted the same piece of public for the last 10 years or the same piece of private how has anything changed what should they be looking for you know during that time frame to uh like this will release like somewhere around october 10th so during this time frame, what should they be doing that might be different from last year, years prior that they need to check out? A lot of times we have cameras um, that are out there over these scrapes uh, and we'll put cameras over these perennially used scrapes. So if you're talking about an area that we're familiar with where we know where there's active scrapes year in and year out, we will just put cameras over those in August or September and leave them. Okay. Um, and then we will be checking those uh through that through the october time frame so if you're real quick do you check like when you go and check those do you check and then if there's bucks there you like immediately hunt it or do you just go you know check six cameras come back to the house figure out which ones are hot and then go into that one uh either or the main thing is we check them the day of so okay we it, you know if it's october 10th and folks are listening to this and they're getting ready to go put some cameras out that's sort of my whole philosophy on the trail camera thing during season is I may put that thing out, but I am not checking it until I have the conditions to hunt that area. Okay. And I check it in the middle of the day. So say for example, there's a perennial scrape there and there's, you, you really need to have a South wind to hunt that particular scrape or bedding or staging area. I'm not going to check it on a day where the wind's blowing out of the north or the west or the east or anything like that. Gotcha. Like I'm going to check it in the middle of the day when it's a south wind. That way, if the intel is there on the camera and there's a buck in in there, I want to be able to hunt him right then, right, and not waste any time. If he was there three or four days ago, then I may then it's a situation where you got to think about it. Okay, you know it's got like it, it well because I don't. At the end of the day, it's great to go check a camera that's been up for two weeks and see that you got several big bucks on it. But if he's not right there, it's not going to do you that much good on that particular day. You you have to be where he is right now right. or really close because they're moving more during this pre-rep time frame. They're definitely moving further, but it's not full rut as you know like mature buck is not just going to stand up and go cruising across an open field at at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning not very often anyway i mean there's never it's always and never don't ever use those so (laughs) um, it's possible but i just don't see that very often um with that said you you've got to be pretty tight to where they're at and to see them during the daylight Sure. Those big boys, they still are not making very many mistakes. They're 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 starting to think about does more and more, and the testosterone is going up, so they're be, becoming more territorial and leaving more rubs and stuff, and scraping more and more every single day leading up to Halloween. So there's more and more buck sign in the woods, but 
if it is not close to a bedding area, I'm I'm not hunting it. Got usually. It. Okay. Oh, it's good to that's that's good to know. Um, and because that's one of the things that I always come across is like, okay, I've you know eight trail cameras out there. Do I go check all of them, figure out where the bucks are, and then go hunt that? But I know that like even if I check these, if if I have a northwest wind coming in and I go check some spots that are good for self, like, okay, cool. They're here, but I can't hunt here. So now like, I'm just kind of, and maybe depending on my entry and exit to that, like I'm out, but it also like, if you have eight cameras spread across, you know, let's just say like 150 acres or something, or even five acres spread across hundred, like that takes a lot of time. It takes a couple hours to go check all oh, this. Yeah. Right. And if you're not like really diligent on, on how you're moving throughout that property, you might, if it's a poor wind for the camera, poor wind for the spot, you might be doing poor, uh, you know, scent control throughout the woods. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. You might be alerting deer that are there that you're wanting to hunt. Um, yeah. and that's not a good situation, but with that said, I mean, you, maybe you've got a wind that's going to switch overnight and you're want you're thinking this could maybe be a good morning spot. Mm. Well, you obviously, I mean, you could check it in the middle of the night. Um, or you could just check it that day and then not hunt it that evening and then go in there and hunt it the next morning based on Intel that you get. Um, so we definitely do try to set up our hunts like that, but I'm more so just looking at wind and conditions like wind and, uh, you know, whether or not it's going to be damp out, uh, with the wind speed, wind direction, obviously, and then trying to kind of gauge that over the next two to three days and see which areas I need to be scouting when. Sure. And just sort of plot that out over time. So your eight camera example, if you have a one weekend to hunt, you get off work Friday afternoon, maybe you go run one of them quick. Then Saturday midday, you run three of them based on a west wind. And then the following day on a north wind, you run the rest of them. I mean, it it just totally depends on how you're setting them all up. But Mm -hmm you're meticulously going about it so that you, you, what you need to have is the Intel, but you need to be able to act on that Intel right now. Right. Because they're just moving around. You've got to be able to catch them when they're there. Even the homebody bucks, man, they just, they, they may be on one side of the property and then on the other and you got to be right right where they're at. Kill them with a bow. Got it. That makes sense. So, um, anything, anything else in terms of, I kind of interrupted your thought there with the camera question, but in terms of, you know, hunting similar property, the same property year over year over year, you know, you're running cameras on, on the scrapes to figure out when they're hot, when they're not. Is there anything else that you look for during this time frame? Are you looking at like rubs or new bedding areas or any sort of food source type thing? If it's a property we've hunted a bunch in the past, we probably already know, uh, for the most part where the thick areas are where they're likely to be bedded or the best bedding areas okay. if we've done our if we've done our diligence with scouting up to that point mm-hmm. so we're looking more at like changing food sources and uh, crop rotation and stuff like that gotcha you know if it's october 10th and you're and you've got a you've got a cornfield that's coming out on the 12th like i'm going to be scouting the edges of that cornfield on the 13th and the 14th you know, seeing if any, if there's any deer using that pit cornfield, because they'll hit that thing really hard for three or four days right after they pick it. Right. Or, you know, say you're in a scenario where you're in a river bottom and maple leaves are starting to fall. You got high wind day on the 14th. 
you're walking down through that river bottom and all these maple leaves are blowing down. Well, I'm going to be really paying attention to that spot for the next two or three days. Because if the, if a buck moves in there and he's sucking up those maple leaves like a vacuum cleaner, he's going to be leaving scrapes. Um, so yeah. it, the, those things are also in the back of your mind pretty much the entire month. It's okay. like things are just changing by the day. Acorns, you know, are, they're going to be heavy on them for a brief period of time in maybe one spot. Right. But they just, they float around, man. It's, 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 it makes it very difficult, you know, especially <laughs> if you're in big wood setting that you may find a bunch of really fresh sign. that's like two days old. And there's, there's a bunch of like droppings and stuff underneath these red oaks or white oaks where there's acorns. It's like, man, this is good, but it, this isn't great. And you might hunt it and not see anything. But then the next day you go in and you go 200 yards deeper into the woods and you find similar sign, but it's just a hair fresher. Then you hunt it and you see him. Right. It's like you're you're on him, but you're just not quite. That's why I say that you've got to be right where they are at that day. You know, right. and don't pre but at the same time, don't pressure yourself into having to gone through every inch of those woods all in one day. Like you can stage hunt your way around, and if you're careful enough, you can pick away at them especially if you got a couple of days to hunt mm -hmm. um, to, to kind of figure out where they're at. Say if you hunt on one edge and don't see him, then you hunt on another edge and don't see him. Well, then it's time maybe to creep into the middle. Right. And then when you creep into the middle, it's like, boom, there's a fresh scrape. There's two or three rubs that are basically sweating. I mean, <laughs> those things are, there is bark sitting on top of the leaves that blew down yesterday. It's like, right. okay. He's, he's here somewhere close. That's when you see him. Gotcha. Okay. And, and in terms of that scouting piece, I imagine it's very similar to, uh, to how you check the trail cameras, which is like, make sure you have a good win, make sure you have a good entry and exit, like as you're moving through that property and don't overcommit yourself to a bad wind or something like that. Yeah, man. I love high wind. I love high wind. I don't care if it's 80 degrees outside. If you got high wind and damp conditions, you can get away with murder out there if you've got it in your favor. They just okay. don't. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've been scouting into the wind like that around noon or 11 a.m. or one in the afternoon. And we have bumped into deer that had that basically bounded four times and turned around. They and they, no didn't, they had no freaking idea. We just surprised the crap out of them. And you know, obviously we want to try to hide as best we can so that they can't see us. But multiple times we've bumped into mature bucks doing that, that just kind of, I mean, they eventually move off, but they're just walking off. They're not spooked right. hard. We just surprised right. them and they don't know what the heck happened. Yeah. Versus a still day with crunchy leaves, they may see and hear you coming from a ways out and be able to figure out what the hell you are. And that is not good. Right. If they know they're being hunted, that is not good. <laughs> so no, that's fair. That, that makes yeah. sense. All right. Awesome. Well, we're just about out of time here. So I want to wrap this up. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Aaron, for, for hopping on, for everybody listening. Um, where I obviously I know, but tell people where best place to find you and look up your content and all that. Uh, the hunting public on YouTube. We got some stuff on Amazon prime. Uh, have some stuff on Waypoint as well. And then our website, thehuntingpublic.com.
and all awesome. your typical social media, you know. Yeah. Ted's on the TikTok pretty heavy nowadays. So we probably got some <laughs> stuff on there too. Perfect. Have you guys done um oh there's a new one? Shoot. My it's funny. I I uh I had a vacation with uh, my family and my cousin's 18 and she uses a she uses a totally different app. Um it's called like uh it's like real something or other. So like you can't real me maybe. It's where it takes a photo of your front camera and your back camera at the exact same time. So it, uh, it's like a real look into what you're actually doing. Like, are you actually like at a party with friends or is it just you yeah. aging it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be cool for the gram. Um, I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron, for hopping on. I, I really appreciate it for everyone listening. Um, best of luck hunting hunting this pre-rut stick to this i mean we talked about scrapes a lot there's certainly other tactics out there but um but hope it was helpful and and if you guys enjoyed the podcast please like subscribe and definitely go check out the hunting public um check those guys out and stick around we got a lot more podcasts coming out over the next few weeks on this topic and and we'll be slowly transitioning into the rut where as orin uh as warb said i called it orin I try to combine Aaron and Warbritton into Warren. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, uh, as Warb said, you'll find those bucks running across the field at 11 a.m. All right. Yep. Catch you guys later. Have a good one.